0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Henry Antwi, who is an experienced mining engineer and mineral economist who has worked across the world developing his mining career. And is currently involved in a number of companies such as MTG Mining Services and Mining Tool Ghana, plus uh, a number of other companies, which we'll, um, which we'll talk about later. Um, As a seasoned international mining professional, I thought it'd be good to get Henry on the podcast to talk about how he managed to leave Africa and seek his career elsewhere around the world and discuss mining in Ghana um, and what we can learn from his experiences. Henry's also released a a new book titled Navigating Career Challenges in the International Mining Industry, The Journey of a Mining Engineer. So I want to hear more about um, what... I want to hear more about why he wrote the book and what inspired him to uh, to um, give and provide that information in a, in a book. So um, first of all, I want to uh, welcome Henry to the uh, podcast. How are you doing, Henry? Very good. And thank you for having me on your programme. No, and I appreciate your time as well. Um, so how are you obviously, obviously how we always start this podcast off. Just wondering if you can give the audience um, a background, um, a brief background of your um of your career so probably when you first graduated um to sort of present day so what you've been involved in so um take it away okay thank you very much uh as you rightly said I'm a mining engineer I started
1: my career in Ghana uh went to university at uh, the University of Mines and Technology in Ghana and then continued on to Cambon School of Mines uh, in Ghana, I did a diploma and then continued with a bachelor's degree at the Cambon School of Mines in England. Then I returned to Ghana uh, because the education was actually sponsored by the Ashanti Gold Force Corporation at the time. So I returned to Ghana, where for a few years and then went back to the United States to pursue mining, engineering and mineral economics at a master's level. When I finished, I joined BHP Minerals in the United States in their coal operations in New Mexico for about three years, progressed through various positions, and then I was transferred to Australia into the BHP Iron Ore Division. I went there for a few years and then moved into mineral economics, joined a company called AME Mineral Economics in Sydney as their principal resource analyst for iron ore and resident mining engineer. I went there for about five years and then moved to Brisbane in in Australia uh, to work with Rangi Consulting for a few years. And then from there, I moved to uh, Thies, which is one of the largest contracting mining companies in the world. From Thies, I wanted a bit of background in mineral economics, uh, sorry, in um, processing engineering. So I went to Sigma, which is also based in Brisbane. Then I got a call to help with with some acquisitions for for the Oman government, the Sultanate of Oman. And initially, my intent was to get about a couple of years experience in the Middle East, But I ended up staying for over 10 years. So it was a very interesting career. And then during that time, um, I also engaged with a number of governments, especially the Ghana government providing advisory services on value addition, resource-based industrialization. Took some board seats in Canada, Australia, and Ghana. And I'm currently locked up in Ghana due to the COVID. And I'm taken the opportunity to assist my colleagues in the industry and then, and then also help with strategy at the board levels. So in brief, that's my long journey.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say that is that is a long journey. And you've travelled, travelled, travelled quite, quite around the different countries. And before going to some of the questions, um, what made you initially when you were in Ghana, what made you decide you want to, I suppose, travel and experience um, other countries? What, what, What made you make that first move and how did you make that first move?
1: So, okay, when I finished my diploma in mining engineering, um, uh, the intent was to do a bachelor's degree, but the mine, because it was being sponsored, they said the mining engineering degree in Ghana was too long because it took five years. So you have a four year degree plus a one year compulsory postgraduate diploma in management. So the company thought it was too long. So rather than doing five years, I did two years for diploma, came back to work for a couple of years, get some more uh, some practical experience and then they told me they actually told me to go to Cambon School of Mines okay so uh, the, the opportunity came up and I was in England and when I finished came back I realized um, if I want to achieve my long term goal which is going to the business side of mining then I need to do mineral economics get more exposure internationally and that's that's what I've done
0: yeah and what was your What was your first job overseas and how did you get that job? Because obviously, as a a mining recruiter, um, obviously, I get a lot of candidates that, I I mean, I generally recruit expatriate staff, but I also get a lot of candidates wanting that first expatriate role. How did did you get your first expatriate role? That's a very interesting question. When I finished my master's degree,
1: um, I wanted to really come back to Ghana. Uh, But then uh, the conditions that I gave, which is relocation costs and other things, the companies were not prepared to do it. They wanted me to relocate myself before they even considered me for an interview. So for me, it was a bit risky because there was no guarantee uh, that I could be employed in Ghana. So I explored internationally. So I did a number of interviews, uh, including Barrick, uh, BHP, and so on. Uh, The challenge was I wasn't a permanent resident of the United States and I wasn't a U.S. citizen. And all the advertisements said, you have to be one of them. But then I managed to get myself into the interview to convince them that I wasn't very keen in staying in the United States, but I know BHP is very international. So they could put me in any of the international operations. So uh, the interview, I think I managed to convince them. And then they rather put me in the US operations under the H-1B visa uh, for three years and then prepared me for international assignments. Uh, it was challenging because, as I said, I wasn't in any of them and actually I had to call the HR uh, manager at the site that I don't qualify to attend your interview, but I want to attend because I can bring something good on the table. And that's how it progressed.
0: Okay, so maybe a little bit of luck, but, but I think it's your persistence as well. Um, and obviously you, you had a US uh, a visa, which does help. What advice would you give anyone whether they're in Ghana or whether they're in any other African country, if they're trying to seek seek a, an expatriate role, what, what, what sort of advice would you give them? Okay, number one, you need to examine the actual role and make sure you are, practic- or you are
1: qualified, both academically and, and, and practically. Because if you don't do that and you just take the position for the sake of economics, financial, you can get yourself in a very bad situation. Uh, because a uh, number of these roles are advertised because they don't have a local experience. They are bringing you in, you in because of your experience. If they have the local experience, they wouldn't bring an expert. So the first advice is don't take the job for the sake of a job, but make sure you are well qualified and you can deliver. Uh, the second advice is cultures vary from countries to countries. So you have to make sure you understand the culture that you are going into. What are some of the challenges? I can give you my own example. When I was going to the Middle East, uh, I did a lot of research to make sure that I can adjust to the culture. Even moving from the United States to Australia, is all Western world, but I went through a cultural orientation to be able to, to, to adjust quickly into the Australian environment. So that's, uh, that's the advice I would give.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously you, you're originally from Ghana, um, you base yourself in Australia now. Um, And you work with, obviously, like BHP in the US and Australia um, and work for companies like Tease, who I know, uh, one of the big mining contractors or even big construction companies in Australia. Um, And obviously, you've also worked in Canada and uh, worked in Oman. So you've been in a lot of different countries, a lot of different cultures as well. What are some of the challenges you've faced, obviously, during... Those periods of times when you have changed countries, changed cultures, or worked—sorry, not changed cultures, but worked in different cultures—what uh, what are some of the big challenges that you've uh, that you faced? Yes, one of them is adjusting quickly to the to
1: the to the host country. Uh, I'll give you the, 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 an example in the Sultanate sort of Oman, where you need to have the resident permit before you can even open a bank account or rent a house and all that and so on. Unfortunately, you don't have much time to do all these things. Once you, once you arrive, they want you to get the ball rolling, get the deliverables going. So you're trying to adjust between the two of settling in, opening bank accounts, finding, finding accommodation, and, and, and getting the job going was, was quite a challenge. But then if you don't uh, seek help, then you'll be stuck. So the company was very helpful in appointing uh, a public relations officer to guide me through the process. So that's the first one. Uh, The second one is uh, the cultural challenge. It's a a completely new environment in terms of culture. Sometimes you can shake hands with a lady, sometimes you can't depending on who you meet and all that and so on. And if you're not aware of these things, it can really frustrate you. So trying to understand the culture as quickly as you can also helps. The other challenge I've faced is, um, especially working in some of these developing countries, uh, you need to strike a balance between technology and jobs creation. Now, if you automate too much, you don't employ. And the shareholder's expectation is, is economics. So you also have to make sure you drive productivity, efficiencies. So trying to find that balance between uh, technology and jobs creation has also is always been a challenge. And, and we are still working through that, that process. Uh, the third one is um, stakeholder management. In, in these international roles, you, have, uh, you, you manage feasibility studies and I've done quite a few. And the shareholders have expectations. The community have expectations. The government has expectations. The government wants to maximize taxes. Uh, communities want to employ people as many as you can the shareholders want economics. So you need very strong negotiation skills to maneuver your way through all these expectations so that it doesn't disrupt the projects very much. So it's been a very interesting experience going through all these. The other challenge is when you're in the boardroom, uh, discussions come up on performance of key management staff, the CEO, the CFO, and sometimes you become so attached to them that when it comes to the decision to. And then dismiss them for various uh, for not being able to deliver. It becomes a challenge, an emotional challenge. So these are some of the challenges that are faced, but all, all of them requires different approaches to solving them.
0: Yeah, understand. It's interesting that you mentioned about obviously the automation and and in relation to job creation. How uh, obviously as we as we are today, there seems obviously a move towards automation, and if there is. Um, obviously, a move to automation, um, and more and more mines going all, uh, going through that whole process. How how are you seeing it in Africa? Um, how, how are you seeing in Africa how um, if companies or mining companies are looking to automate their um, equipment and processes? How are you how are you forecasting how Africa is going to move into that new new way of way of mining? And in terms of job creation, if you say, if you say we're going, autom- if we're, everything's going automated, there's going to maybe less job creation, perhaps, or different types of jobs. How are you seeing that across the African market?
1: So Africa, the, the good news about Africa is, is also dominated by the multinationals, uh, anglo gold Ashanti, Newmont, and all that, and so on. So they are also looking at best practices. And therefore, they're also... Not involved in skills development, developing the local stuff. Uh, the good news about Ghana is they have very competent mining engineers and mining professionals. Uh, most of them was, were educated in Ghana, others were educated in overseas and so on. Now, if you look at Mali, for instance, Mali has an underground mine, which is the most automated uh, when it comes to sublevels. Yeah. Um, in Ghana, for instance, the Ashanti, um, the AGA uh, underground mine in Obuasi it's mechanized, Uh, it's it's going through mechanization and so on. So um, there have been some progress, but then governments also uh, want to ensure that their people are employed because job creation is one of the key factors. So what have we been doing Uh, in the past few months, I have initiated uh, a committee actually formed a committee to look into how to balance these two scenarios. And they are doing a paper which we will, will present to various stakeholders on how to make sure that we automate and at the same time skill up the people. Now, automation itself is not too bad, provided your people are skilled, because you have to multitask. There is troubleshooting when things go wrong. So um, even though you might have reduction in employment, those employed can be very, very productive in terms of when it comes to efficiencies and so on. So automation is not too bad, it's how you position your people so that they can take advantage of, of, of these situations.
0: Yeah. And have you seen a, decre- a slight decrease in job opportunities or job creation or job opportunities because of automation that has happened so far? Yes. If, uh, if you look
1: at globally, if you look at the BHPs and the Rio Tinto,s we have driverless trucks, uh, driverless trains being operated from, uh, from uh, technology centres and so on. Um, but you have to balance that with productivity of these uh, creating shareholders values. So there have been some reduction in employment, Uh, that's a fact, but there have also been uh, uh, scaling of people. Uh, The time has come where mining professionals are working very closely with computer scientists and and mathematicians, statisticians and so on uh, to do all these automation, artificial intelligence and so on. So uh, the automation has brought together a collaboration between mining and other professionals uh, which were not there in the past, it was there to some extent, but not as aggressive as we, we find now. So there might be reduction in certain areas of the profession, but you can see uptake in other areas, like data analytics, uh, computer scientists, and so on and so forth. So overall, there is a balance um, between um, the various professionals and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, at the time of this recording, um, we're in, obviously, the, this COVID situation. So, um, how has COVID interp- uh, impacted businesses across the globe, obviously from your perspective? Um, and has the global mining industry cope with the lockdown and related disruptions? And can you provide any updates on how the Ghanaian mining sector is coping with this pandemic?
1: Okay, as we all know, within weeks of the onset of the pandemic, um, the mining companies actually implemented concrete steps to protect their staff, Uh, build resilience through training, infrastructure, and assistance. They contributed logistically and financially to communities where they operate. Uh, There have been a refocus on production efficiency price before all these physical distancing measures are relaxed. Now, the impact varies from country to country. Uh, In the context of Ghana, for instance, there was a lockdown, but the mining industry was exempted. And it is because the mining industry was very disciplined and they put in a very robust safety management systems, drills, simulations, verification audits, continuous improvements. They had critical uh, action response planning, implementation controls. They had medical clearance before securing mines assets, mandatory quarantine testing, and so on. So it didn't have big impact uh, on the Ghanaian mining industry. In fact, the non-essential staff services work from home uh, to, uh, to enhance effective social distancing. So overall, there has been some, some effects, but generally in the context of Ghana, it hasn't had
0: much impact. Which is good. Um, and how about sort of some, and if you know this, how about some of the neighboring um, countries around Ghana? Have they been, have they, have they coped pretty well? Or have some of them um, not coped as well?
1: Yes, generally, in, in, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, the, the impact has not been huge, like uh, in the Western world. And it's a number of factors. Uh, it's a very young population. Their immune systems are a bit stronger. And the, the impact of, uh, of uh, malaria and all that uh, has built their immune system. So we haven't seen uh, so many cases, especially when it comes to active cases. Currently in Ghana, I don't think it's even more than 2000 active cases uh, because of all these scenarios. So to that extent, the, the African continent, especially sub-Saharan African uh, uh, countries have coped very well and it hasn't had uh, much impact.
0: Okay, uh, that's and that's good. And that's especially good for the mining industry. So um, that's really good to hear. Um, You've obviously been involved um, heavily with policy discussions in Africa. Um, how is the continent responding to the paradox of vast mineral resources existing side by side, uh, so, sorry, side by side with the economic difficulties?
1: That's, very, that's a very good question. In fact, if you look at mining, I can categorize the risks into four baskets. The mm-hmm. first one is high aspirational risks. It takes about five to 10 years, in some cases even more to go from exploration to mining. Then the second part is high capital intensity. You need a lot of money, hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars to build a mine. Unfortunately, the payback for shareholders. And then we have this issue, uh, communities, social license, and so on. So these pose challenges, especially for local Africans, because of the capital intensity, the risks, and so on. So in the mining space, you see a number of multinationals in the African continent with few uh, indigenous companies. So what has the African countries done? In fact, the heads of states within the African Union met to implement, uh, and this question is to ensure that the extractive resources sector becomes a catalyst for economic uh, development and structural transformation. And then they took it forward in 2013 and they formed the African Minerals Development Center, AMDC. And that center was tasked to look at the various constraints affecting the African mining industry mining revenues and mineral rent, for instance, geological and mining information systems, for instance, artisanal and small scale mining, linkages and diversification. So there were a whole lot of clusters or action plans that they were minded to, to do. Now in 2017, I was invited to uh, a a two-day regional forum which was organized by the vice president of of, of Ghana, the office of the vice president of Ghana and the Yombozi Institute in Tanzania. And we brought in experts around the world to look at how we add value to the minerals in in, in Africa, value addition, resource-based industrialization, um, how it will, will leverage on the mineral resources to add value and create more jobs. And this uh, was a very important workshop. Uh, we looked at lessons learned from a regional perspective. We looked at areas of the value chain with greater potential for value addition. And so, a number of these things, initiatives, are going on in a number of African countries. So, the continent is blessed with mineral resources. We haven't been very aggressive in value addition for various reasons. One, it needs technology. It needs expertise, it needs energy, and so on. But we are making progress.
0: Okay. Um, obviously, uh, the Ghanaian mining sector is dominated by gold, um, even surpassing South Africa in production. Um, what is the government doing to facilitate the development of other minerals in the country?
1: Very good question, too. In fact, uh, you are right.
0: The gold industry
1: has been booming in Ghana. Uh, there are a few things. Ghana has strong resource base, not only in gold, but bauxite, manganese, diamonds, iron ore, industrial minerals such as limestone. Uh, The good thing about Ghana is uh, we've been mining for a very long time, so there's expertise in the country, technical, commercial, legal expertise in the country. In fact, the University of Mines and Technology is one of the premier mining universities in Africa, where students from Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Ivico, all, the, all of them come to Ghana for, for training. So in terms of skills, uh, the country has it. Now the difficulty was on the energy side where there were shortages of energy. And you know, these value addition initiatives require a lot of energy, but the good news is now there has been a gas find. So based on that, the government has moved very quickly to look at integration of oxide, alumina aluminum. Now what is happening in the country is we mine the bauxite, we export. Somebody uses the, exp- the bauxite to, to, to develop alumina and then we import the alumina to feed our aluminum plant. Now, if you look at the cost, the price of bauxite, roughly $40 per ton, uh, uh, when they add value $360 per ton to $400 per ton. So the government took this initiative to integrate, that's the first thing they are doing now. And they formed a company by the name Ghana Integrated Aluminium Development Corporation, JADEC. To drive that process now jadek has invited investors across the world they are going through a transparent tender process and through that process they will select uh, the preferred investors to develop this bauxite aluminum the government has taken it further we have have a lot of iron ore so in the uh, process of doing the same thing with iron ore how do we convert the iron ore into steel now that we have energy so that process is ongoing so To facilitate all this, we need a very strong supply chain. So the government has also taken the initiative to develop this national development supply program uh, to drive all these uh, initiatives. So that's uh, currently ongoing. But I must admit that um, uh, the progress at localization of the mining sector uh, has been a bit slow, Uh, but, the government has uh, implemented the local content policy and that policy ensures that foreign companies coming into Ghana have to have Ghanaian partnership. And as I speak, a uh, number of partnerships are currently ongoing. So that's the situation we find ourselves now.
0: Okay. And in terms of obviously these different commodities, are they found in certain parts or certain regions of Ghana? Yes, yes. In
1: fact, there's a gold belt, that's Goes from the Ashanti region to the northern region. So you see, in uh, fact, Ashanti, Western, and you see a number of gold companies are in Ashanti, in western, and in the northern region. And then when you come to the manganese, it's predominantly in the western region as well. Uh, the, the diamonds are in, the, in a place called Aquatia, which is uh, which is also in the eastern region. So it's scattered all across all across, across the country.
0: Okay. Um- And obviously, you've mentioned to me you've been in Ghana for just over a month now, obviously in lockdown due to COVID. What's your assessment of local participation in the mining sector? And what role have you been providing for the indigenous Ghanaian companies?
1: Yes, yes. In my previous discussion, I was alluding to the slow pace of localization of the mining sector. Now there are a number of reasons. The, the logistics networks are weak in the country. Uh, there's high energy costs and there are funding challenges. And so addressing these challenges uh, requires an integration and partnerships between the government, the private sector, society and strides towards uh, macroeconomic stabilization. So all these initiatives are being addressed as I speak. However, the participation of the local companies is also having a big uptake. I'll give you a few examples. Anglo Anglopo, when they decided to mechanize their underground operation, is a joint venture between a Ghanaian company and an Australian company. And the intent is to scale up the Ghanaian company on my mechanization. Um, as I speak, I'm on the board of a company that is into a joint venture with a foreign company doing all the race boring for ventilation shafts in the Oboise mine and the Subica mine in Newmont. And the local company manages the labor, the procurement, the logistics. And then through that process, it's a win-win situation for both the international partner and the, and the, and the local partner. So a number of initiatives are going. When I talked about bauxite Aluminum, a number of my colleagues approached me and they said, why do we allow multinationals to do everything for Ghana? Why can't we Ghanaians do it? The process has been about three years and we have been able to put together a consortium of Ghanaians, international technology providers and investors led by Ghanaians. This time it's not the multinational pulling it together. It's a Ghanaian company pulling together international investors, technology providers and so on. So uh, we are now a number of Ghanaians who, who, have, who have worked outside are also coming into the country. Uh, they are participating in the, in, the, in the entrepreneurship, in the mining industry, driving the commercial side. And so the, the challenge we had previously is, in fact, if you look at the Ghanaian, if you look at the multinationals in Ghana, it's all managed by Ghanaians from the CEO all down, most of them are Ghanaians. But we have not taken the next step of forming companies, being entrepreneurial and then doing some of these projects. But now with the passage of the Lookout Content Law, which allows Ghanaians to take a minimum of 30%, we've seen a number of Ghanaian companies springing up to go into joint venture partnerships uh, with these international companies. So the advantage of being locked up here in COVID is uh, being uh, one of the front lines in these initiatives, driving strategies at the board levels and providing guidance with some of these companies.
0: What would you say? Obviously, Ghana is probably the one of the most um, skillful um, countries within Africa in mining. If you look at your neighbouring countries, what advice could could you give, or what what has Ghana done different to some of the other neighbouring countries that have made you become a, 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 a main a main country for mining? Um, what would you say that they, what, what are they maybe doing wrong, or what would you suggest they should be doing to um, obviously increase their skill sets within the country? That's a very good question. In fact,
1: Ghana has taken the lead for a very long time. Um, we formed the Minerals Commission, which is the regulatory arm of the, of the, of the mining sector. But a lot of these countries are catching up. In fact, some of them have taken the Ghana Minerals Commission policies and then enhanced it. And therefore they are attracting more exploration funds than even Ghana. Burkina Faso is, is one example, the Ivory Coast is another example. What has been lacking, and I was fortunate to, the Australian government uh, used to sponsor uh, people from West Africa who are not mining professionals into Australia to, uh, to understand policies, uh, some of the high level stuff, reclamation and so on. So I was called to give a keynote speech. They brought all the alumni into Ghana in 2017. So those who were trained from the Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Senegal, Ghana, including some who are even ministers, were all brought into Accra, Ghana for a two-day workshop. And I gave a keynote address and I interacted with most of them. So what is happening now is they are bringing their people into the university in Ghana. If you go to the University of Minds and Technology and other universities, you see a number of these neighboring countries being trained in Ghana. When they finish, they go go back. In addition, they are employing, because Ghana has oversupply of technical expertise. We don't have many mines to accommodate all these mining engineers, geologists. So a number of them are going into Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, Senegal, to occupy very senior roles and train these um, uh, African countries. So all these are taking place in the the context of the ECOWAS, the African Union, there is a bilateral agreements between countries to ensure that people are comfortable in other countries and so on. So all these current initiatives are going as I speak. Um, there is a company that has been formed in Ghana called the Mining uh, and Mechanized Training Center. And people around the world uh, in Africa come in for training in drill and Blast, uh, how to become a supervisor, mine captain and so on. So there's a bit of collaboration among countries Um, It's a very global world these days, so you don't sit in your own corner. Uh, There's some cooperation happening to scale up the neighboring
0: countries. Okay. Um, Before we speak about your book, um, what would you say uh, the future is for, first of all, Ghanaian mining, but also um, African mining? I'll say over the next five five or ten years, how do you see the the mining industry developing in Ghana and the rest of Africa?
1: The future looks very bright, especially in Ghana. Now that we are not concentrating purely on gold, there, there, a lot of the emphasis has been on gold. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the companies doing prospecting and exploration, most of them are in the gold sector. But now we are widening things. Now they found some lithium in the country. Uh, as I said, there are huge resources of oxides that have not been developed uh, at various uh, areas in the country. And now the initiatives is currently ongoing to develop uh, uh, the bauxite resources, iron ore. Uh, At The moment we don't produce iron ore even though there's huge resources of iron ore in the country. So with all these initiatives that are happening, the future is very bright. It's going to lead to job creation. It's going to lead to skills development, especially in the value addition space, such as alumina, where you require uh, knowledge in the buyer process. Uh, uh, It's a very intense technology and so on. So once we scale up our people uh, in all these endeavors, I think it's going to generate uh, very good, skillful jobs for the country. In the context of Africa uh, depends on where you are. Some are really uh, moving ahead, such as Burkina Faso, Coast. but there are always these challenges of terrorist attacks, especially in Burkina Faso, people being kidnapped and so on. So governments are addressing these security challenges it's not happening in Ghana, but in the other countries, there are all these challenges. So governments have recognized the need to address these challenges to be able to attract investors. The last thing you want is to send experts into a country and they are kidnapped or, or they're going through mm. terrible times. So governments have recognized this, Nigeria, other places, and they are addressing the security challenges and so on. So I say the future is very bright for the continent as we move towards. And the good thing is we are finding energy, for instance which drives a lot of these uh, value addition initiatives
0: yeah right so let's talk about your book yeah Um, obviously you recently released it so um, it's titled navigating career challenges in the international mining industry the journey of a mining engineer so wondered if you can just give us a, um, a few highlights of the book but firstly what what inspired you to actually write the book very good question. In fact, when
1: I took the job in the Sultanate of Oman, the proximity to Ghana was a bit closer compared with coming from Australia to Ghana. So every year I managed to find time to have about two visits into the country. And then one of the professors at the university told me to consider being a guest lecturer and allocate about one week to, to lecture with those doing master's degree in business planning, uh, medicine and acquisitions, and so on. During that process, um, we formed the, the Ghana branch and we were doing conferences. And then I realized the knowledge gap and then, and then the, the zeal of the Ghanaians to, to understand the commercial side of mine where I thought it was a bit weak. And so then I got invited to various conferences and, and workshops by governments and, 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 and private sector and so on. And then I realized maybe the best thing I can do for Ghana is to put my experience together, especially on the, on the business and commercial side. And then I gauge to see the interests and then there was big interest, sponsors and so on. So uh, I've been working on this for the past three years. Uh, it's about 259 page book. To, it's, just, it's not a textbook, it will serve as a guide for professionals and students aspiring to build their careers in management at a board level, policymaking, mergers acquisitions is for those in human resources who are relocating people from other countries to the countries. I share all the challenges I faced. Uh, it's for even the mining industry, how do we market uh, the economics of mining? We talk about jobs creation, but we don't look at the, the multiplier impacts, for instance. So I share all this knowledge so that um, it helps policy makers, professionals, academia, uh, and provide them as a guide. So it was released in October. And before if it was even released, about 200 copies had been pre-ordered. So I realised there was this appetite for it. And I had to go for, for further prints. Okay. And so, so this is where we are at the moment.
0: Yeah. And where can, where can people purchase your book? So currently
1: it's based in Ghana. I haven't put it online yet. But um, I'll provide you my email address, which is hotmail.com. So last name, first name. Anthony Henry at hotmail.com. If you get back to me, I'll find a way to get you a copy until it comes online. For now, because it was high, heavily subsidised, uh, we are selling it. That's at cost of production. So if you put it online and then, then, then you, you, uh, you lose a lot of money. Yeah. So for for now, we courier it to Australia, other places. You just pay the courier cost plus the cost, which is about uh, thirty-five dollars. Not very expensive. If you're ordering from overseas in Ghana, it's subsidized for the students and so on. So I can, uh, there are areas that are copies at the university. So the assistant registrar can, can give you copies. There are copies in my prior office. Uh, so if you get back to me, I'll find a way to, uh, to get you copies
0: yes certainly and i'm sure a lot of our listeners will um will have a look at that and certainly purchase that um and i'll put these in the show notes as well so are you on social media at all if anyone wants to contact you about the book but also may want to contact you and um may they may have some questions around mining in ghana that you'd be able to help them out with
1: yes so i'm on instagram i'm on linkedin i'm on facebook uh so if you search for my name you'll be able to find me and then um and then we can take it from
0: there. Yeah, certainly. And we'll put all those in the show notes as well. So um, people can um, obviously reach out to you. So really appreciate your time, uh, Henry, and um, obviously discussing mining in Ghana and obviously um, mining in Africa as well, um, which I think is a, is um, a great advert for, for the industry. And I know um, a lot of people that are listening are mainly expatriate workers and, um, it's a good. You gave a good account of um, the mining, the future of mining, especially in Ghana and especially in the um, international, in the international market across Africa. So, really appreciate your time for that. Um, so, if anyone obviously wants to contact Henry, if they've got any questions around any of the content that he's provided, or you may have some questions that you feel that he can answer, appreciate if um, you can look at the, the show notes and. Um, you'll be able to obviously reach out to him again anyone listening appreciate you can share this episode to any people that you feel can gain benefit from that Um, so anyone friends family anyone else in the mining industry maybe working in africa or looking to go and work in africa um, appreciate if you can uh, forward um, this episode on to them so until next time happy mining thank you for listening